0: Oh my, before we begin this Sunday special edition today, I wanted to personally invite you to a Vision for You's fall biennial convention, The Power of the Big Book, a weekend of inspiration, education, motivation, and fellowship, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, November 15th, 16th, and 17th. It would be spectacular to have you join us. And I'm not necessarily talking today about the global vision for you. I am talking directly to you. You know. You know. A vision for you is talking about you. Wondering if you will be able to take us up on the invitation and RSVP today. Hoping that the message of what a convention of this magnitude will do if you simply join in. Join in. We want to see you. And I want to tell you that I have too been to convention before in the past. It's not a one and done kind of a deal at a Vision for You. A Vision for You is not anything but unconventional. It is a powerful, powerful, powerful experience each time. I was the old timer. I was the newcomer. I was the relapser with 17 years of OA knowledge and never knew the power transformation that comes from the big book and then once again face to face. I felt what it was like to go weak in the knees from the atmosphere the moment I stepped into the hotel lobby. I cried those ugly tears, the point where I laid my eyes on my sponsor for the first time face to face. I looked into the eyes of the countless women and men that take my calls every single day, that sacrifice so much to help me get this deal because I almost lost it. I almost didn't get it actually it was blood sweat and tears into this wreck of a life of mine that they put I saw for the first time what recovery looks like what relationship felt like what it acted like and what felt like among 800 seekers and believers and recovered I experienced live what I had been learning for so long. And the event itself broke all down those simple things to understandable terms, relationship, belonging, and not being a square peg in a round hole anymore. I knew then somehow, even a person like me, at my age and my level of sickness, that this disease was in big trouble and it didn't stand a chance anymore. That That this was going to work for me too. Would I have it? Oh my goodness, yes. Please come. Don't miss this opportunity. Make this your convention, your biannual trek to come face to face, to support and to be supported. Make this your defining moment as that newcomer, as the returner, as the fellow in the rooms. For all this, we are responsible, right? We will be watching for you and saving you a seat right up front. So run to A Vision For You, the website at wwwavision and that's the number four there, and register today. Right now, this moment, no one's going to look, no one's going to see that you're doing it through this particular Sunday special edition. And one last thing before I turn this meeting back over for this anticipated presentation today. Check out the bulletin board on the website. Folks have rooms at the Marriott, and they want to share costs in their room with you folks also have transportation to provide you a ride and need transportation and they've left all the details on how to catch up with them for these deals on that bulletin board so now let's get started this morning back to you larry thank you
1: oh Mel, thanks so much I, and I, by the way I'll, I'll give someone a ride now it's a, a sidecar and a motorcycle but i'm happy to take anyone just get a hold of me all right just kidding all right um Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered composable reader from Chicago. Today is September 29, 2019. The uh, share ID numbers for Friday, September 27th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern meeting, that number is 13,451. That's 13,451. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern meeting, that number is 13,453. That's 13453. So, this morning, A Vision for You presents The Journey So Freely Given, a personal story of transformation. You know, at its origin, um, any personal story of transformation must begin with this notion of acceptance. And this can certainly prove to be uh, challenging. It certainly was for me. For many of us, by the time we arrived to OA, we've spent years avoiding the stigma of acknowledging that we were indeed compulsive readers, uh, particularly ones of the hopeless variety. And we really become adept at creating a personal narrative that kind of explained away why we had issues with food and weight. And in the face of that narrative, well, then, how, how then does one accept that they have both the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind? And, and furthermore, you know, how can we possibly accept that we have a profound spiritual malady? And yet, when we do accept these realities, a true compulsive overeater can embark upon these 12 steps with honesty, openness, and willingness. And, and when we proceed through the steps with that foundation of understanding... Um, when it's in place, the the obsession to eat will be expelled when we do the work. The desire will be eradicated miraculously. And we we are liberated from this disease. And only then can we become happily and usefully whole. And the, the spiritual awakening, I'll tell you, is no fantasy. It's not some delusional nonsense. Because for those who experience it, they can feel that they've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, and God has done for them what they could never do for themselves. The 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their orientation. They're designed to bring about a fundamental change, a revolutionary change in how we think and and, and ultimately how we behave. And, you know, we are going to hear this morning a beautiful testimony about the journey being free. The journey is free. It's available to anyone. You know, we're all inclusive. We are never exclusive. You know, they didn't ask me for a social security number. didn't have to learn any special handshake. None of that stuff. I I even, you know, sort of lip synced the steps, you know, as we read them for several months. We read them aloud at meetings. I kind of did that for a long time. And yet those who have crossed the bridge to freedom have acknowledged that this demonstration, like all other things, had its price. And that price is that we be born again not not in any theological or religious sense. I don't mean it that way, but rather a rebirth of self. Here's the rub. If we come into truth just dipping our toes in the pool, we're, we're only going to get the toe-dipping recovery, that version, and, and the promises do not come. We've got to sort of cannonball into the pool. In other words, a price had to be paid. We come into the truth with our whole body, um, bringing every conscious thought and belief this is the touchstone of, of of tapping into that divine intelligence and love, and so you know, joining us this morning is a classy lady. I think she is. She resides in Florida. I've met. She's she's a, a real living, breathing person. I've met Tina S. I swear I have, um, and she's going to talk about the miracle of this process of recovery. She's a, a been a humble servant in this fellowship, and she's here to share her amazing journey to freedom. So, please join me this morning in welcoming Tina, Tina, Tina. Hey, Tina, good morning.
2: Thanks so much, Larry. Uh, Tina S., recovered compulsive eater, anorexic in uh, Florida. Thanks so much for the lovely introduction, and yes, yes, I have met you also, and what a great, great man you are, in my, my opinion, I'm sure many others, and, uh, you know, and I am so humbled, you know, I, I've heard that word, I'm going to get emotional from the get-go, that word a couple times this morning, and, uh, you know, I used to not even know what that word meant, and today I hope that, you know, that, that I can be more humble, you know, and so, you yeah, know, I'm so grateful and so grateful for Leah for asking me to uh, do this this morning and, um, and for everybody that makes this meeting happen. You know, Melanie, all the moderators, uh, Leah, Katie, everyone, you know, and I am this meeting about five years ago when I first started to listen has absolutely changed my life. Absolutely. You know, and I thought it couldn't get any better, but it has absolutely gotten better. Uh, again, you know, I'm keen to recover compulsive eater and anorexic. And, um, you know, uh, when I was asked to think of a topic for this, I thought, you know, I don't, you know, of course, you know, I'm the addict, alcoholic, compulsive eater. I want something profound. And, you know, then it came to mind the journey so freely given because it just was. You know, there was work to be done, but it was just so freely given to me at the time that I was ready to to receive it. And, uh, you know, I guess I'll start from the beginning, you know, I because uh, that's where it started for me. You know, I, uh, I'm i originally from Pennsylvania. I am the second of four kids, uh, three girls and a, my baby brother. Um, you know, and, and I don't remember a whole lot about my uh, growing up years. I just really don't. And what I do know is that I always felt different um, from the get-go. You know, um, my, my mother, uh, God bless her soul, love her to death today, that was not always the case, was in and out of mental institutions all of my life, all of her life, all of my life with her. put it that way and you know every couple years she'd be in the hospital for a month or so and and it just so what i know today about that is i really didn't get what i needed from from my mother you know and so i looked for that all over for many many years to come uh, to get something some kind of comfort some kind of nurturing and you know initially it started with my dad he was my savior in my saving grace uh he had to be every place with me if he wasn't you know the shit was hitting the fan i was screaming as a young kid if he dropped me off at my grandmother's as soon as he left i was i was crazy they couldn't console me because what i knew deep down was he was the only one that was going to comfort me and give me what i needed and um you know, for a long time that was the case. That I, or so I felt. And um, and like I said, I, I have two uh, two sisters, and one was 11 months older, and one is three years younger. And you know, they were always prettier and thinner and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, I, I I see when I see pictures from when, when I was like up to the age of 10, I was a pretty normal weight you know but i don't remember any of that what i do remember are you know things like my mother used to dress us up like we were triplets you know it's funny and everybody back in that day i think did everybody's mothers if they had girls they would know, dress them all alike and um i remember the when the time came that they could no longer find the clothes to fit me to match my sisters you know and it was just it was heartbreaking you know, even though I thought it was crazy that she was dressing us alike, fixing our hair alike, and all that kind of stuff, when I couldn't find the size to match my sister's clothes, I was devastated, you know? And uh, and it's really raw today, and this is, you know, I'm 61, and that was probably when I was like seven or something, you know? And, um, you know, so what did I do? You know, and it's it's, it's interesting because I don't really remember making the conscious decision to start to eat, you know, and um, in the big book, it talks about, you know, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol or food for me initially, you know, and, uh, and I'm sure I was, like I said, I was looking for something outside of myself to fill that hole in my heart, in my soul, you know, and the, the only available thing as a young child was food. You know, and not so much at my home. Let me just be clear about that. You know, um, my mother being in and out of hospitals. And actually, and my dad, in my opinion, was an alcoholic. So whenever he got a chance, he was out drinking. So we didn't have a lot of money. You know, but I had two grandmothers that, you know, they always pitched in. We always got what we needed. You know, we never were wanting for anything. But, you know, my mother's mother uh, was Italian. Born in Italy and so she always had all kind of food I always wanted to stay at her house always you know if we had the choice I wanted to go to her house you know and you know and she would give you anything you'd open up her refrigerator it'd be full you open up her cabinets they were full and she was a baker she was a cooker you know downstairs in the basement she had this freezer full of um, um, bakery items frozen bakery items you know you know, and I ate frozen bakery items. You know, I used to say we're going to play in the basement. My sisters might have been playing. I was eating out of the freezer in the basement. Who cared that it was frozen? A lot of them, you know, bakery items, they don't really freeze. They get a little cold and hard, but they don't freeze. It didn't matter. You know, oh, it's just so interesting that I just said that. I could almost taste, and I haven't had that stuff in over 20 years, but I could almost taste what that felt like. You know, I'm sorry, feel what that tasted whatever, one of those, but that, that I got a little bit of comfort there back in that age, you know, and, um, you know, so that's, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, somehow, some way that food gave me the comfort or the nurturing that I desired. And, you know, and then, you know, the weight started to come about and, and, uh, you know, and I had to shop at different places and it just, I, I hated shopping. I still don't like to shop. You know, and I'm in normal body size and I have been for many years, but I still don't like the shop, you know, and, uh, and again, you know, like I said, my sister seemed always prettier and thinner and, you know, like they, I was like on the outside looking into living life when I watched them, you know, they would be outside playing, you yeah. know, um, and very outgoing, and you know i wasn't and not like i wasn't me i wasn't mean or anything like that, but I was very reserved, very isolated and uh and I' preferred to stay home and just eat, you know because i didn't know you know one of the things that i didn't know was how to live, you know, and i didn't you know not, not for any through any of their fault of their own i didn't have parents who knew how either, so they couldn't teach me how. You know, and I don't know that they even noticed. I mean, they noticed when I gained weight because there were always the comments, you know, like, you're getting a little chubby there, Tina. You know, and and you know, and I know my parents love me, and I know my, know my family love me. I had two uncles, but they just, I could tell they just loved me to death. But that was a little joke between them. You know, they would say, oh, you're getting a little chubby there, Tina. You know, and then they'd poke me in the belly a little bit, you know, and I would just smile basically because I, at least I was getting some attention. You know and I loved them, and um you know i I, I always tell this story because uh, somehow it was like a, a a turning point in you know my uh relating how how bad I felt to the food and the weight gain um uh, I remember my grandmother used to buy um uh, at Christmas time, you know we all always got all these little cute outfits and stuff like that. We did for a point till I got too heavy. To be able to wear a cute little outfit. And, uh, you know, my grandmother had bought my sister's cute little, I think they were called baby doll pajamas back in the day. And they were the cutest little thing. And when I opened up my gift, it was a sweater, you know. And, and, and it was a pretty sweater, you know. I always say that it was a sweater. And it was a pretty sweater, I'm sure. But it wasn't the baby doll
3: pajamas, you know.
2: Because she couldn't find the size to fit. And you know, and I'm sure I got many other gifts that Christmas. I don't remember any of that. What I do remember is that I got a sweater because I was too fat for baby doll
3: pajamas.
2: You know, and um, and so I, I always felt like I didn't fit. You know, that I, I was apart from, and everybody you know was better than I was, or you know, prettier, thinner, all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, one of the things that I um really excelled in growing up was academics, you know, so, you know, when I could do something good, it was 150% I was at it, you know, so you know, I excelled in academics and it was, it was a great thing for me, you know, cause then I, you know, I, for a period of time, I felt fulfilled by, uh um, you know, academics in school. And so I was a good student and, you know, and I, you know, I was pretty popular even though I was heavy, you know, because, you know, I'm a friendly kind of gal if you don't get too close. <laughs> I mean, today I'm probably friendlier than I used to be. But, you know, on the surface, I'm pretty friendly. And, uh, you know, I can remember in, um, I think it was junior high or maybe middle school, one of those schools, you know, when um, all the girls started getting, uh wanting boyfriends and all the boys wanted girlfriends. You know, I can remember the, you know, I picked my boyfriends um, by what kind of stuff they got me from the vending machine. You know,
1: I can remember
2: who who got the best stuff from the vending machine to give me. That's who I would walk around the football field with, holding hands. It was based on what you bought me candy-wise. You know, and uh, talking about that, even as a kid, you know, I remember my brother, he was so much younger than I was, but he had this bank And they would put quarters in it. And I, you know, found a way to get in this bank to get this money out because we lived, like, not far from a little convenience store where I could go buy candy. And I would steal money out of that bank all the time. And I remember they used to blame my sister for it because she was one that would openly get caught taking stuff. And I never said a word. I was the one that took all that money. But she got, you know, she got blamed for taking his money. And, you know, I just let it be like that. I didn't want them, you know, because it was like the thing in the household was Tina was the goody two-shoes. You know, or because, you know, I really didn't do much. You know, I ate, you know, I didn't really, you know, go against the grain because, you know, I really was just looking for some love. And so I didn't want to do anything to, you know, to make you angry. And, um, you know, and then I started playing sports, which was a saving grace for me in high school. You know, we get exactly what we need exactly when we need it. You know and and god knew i needed to participate in some sports and i did and that was like the best time of my life in high school was playing sports you know as part of a team and through playing sports i became you know initially i you know i lost about 30 pounds when i was in ninth grade i weighed 160 pounds and I can remember being weighed, you know, we got weighed one at a time. Everybody went into this room and we got on the scale They yelled out your weight and the next person got on. You know, I remember the guy in front of me because we went alphabetical order. He was a very tall guy and he weighed 160. I, uh, me at the time, I was probably like, you know, I'm five, three now it's probably five, one who, and who knows, maybe it was five, three, but I weighed 162 and they, you know, yell out the name. And I was just so embarrassed, humiliated that I weighed the same as he is. So that summer, you know, I I think it was my first diet, and it was two pieces of toast a day. I lost 30 pounds. It was a wonderful thing. You know, I had arrived. <laughs> I weighed, you know, 130 pounds. You know, I was getting all this attention. I was able to go shopping, to buy all these clothes, and, and I did at the time, you know. But what I know today is I am a great dieter. I just can't stay stopped. You know i just can't stay stopped so you know i never really gained 30 more pounds but that that began began the binging um starving diets in my life you know and that was i was probably 15 or 16 at the time and uh and that's what i did if i would binge a day or two then i wouldn't eat for a week and so you know outwardly many times i never if i was overweight it was just little bit overweight but i was miserable you know people talked about and i didn't eat around people you know i ate ate by myself if i ate around people it was a salad or something like that but mostly i didn't eat around people and um and i can remember uh i got accepted to a hospital school of nursing and i can remember going to i was so excited to be accepted and to go away to school you know i really didn't want to be a nurse you know my dream was to be a, a phys ed teacher and coach but you know my family my my dad wanted me to be a nurse and uh to go away to school and so i did it um so i can remember i went to a, a nursing school and at the time i think i went i think i was like 100 and i don't know 20 some pounds when i went into nursing school and i again you know i had arrived i was you know i was i was thin i could wear the nice clothes and uh and look at me you know so what happened with that is, you know, I, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm a great academic. I can do the work and get the grade. And, um, and so I did really well in nursing school and we had to go into the hospital as student nurses at seven o'clock in the morning and all this. And, but what i found is, you know, uh, <clears throat> I, um, I, and this is just who I am, you know, I'm also a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So at the time, you know, uh, my my best diet was booze, you know, because if I drank, I wasn't eating because I wasn't ruining a good buzz. So that, for a long period of time, helped me to stay normal weight. But again, it backfired because then I started eating blackouts because I was a blackout fall down drunk. You know, there is never enough for this compulsive eater alcoholic. Never enough, you know. I always want more. One is never enough. So. You know, when I was in nursing school, I I started to study and visit the vending machine. And, you know, and I don't know what I did more, study or visit the vending machine. You know, but I, I can remember, you know, like I said, when I got, when I went into nursing school in July of 1976 or something like that, I weighed 120, maybe three pounds, something like that. Uh, by the time I quit nursing school seven months later, because I was miserable, I was 30 pounds heavier. And um, and I was just miserable. I didn't know what to do. I wanted to die. You know, that's where my food addiction took me. I wanted to die. And I was, what, 17, 18 years old in nursing school, could have had a great career, you know, although I know I'm not, I've got, there are no bedside manner here. So nursing was not the profession I'm sure that I was supposed to be in. But, you know, I I was miserable and I something had to go and it had to be school, you know, and one of the things. And so I, then I started the lying, you know, and it, this is the truth uh, a patient that I had, an older gentleman. He did die while I was there. You know, it had nothing to do with me. And, and let me just tell you, I am by this time, I'm so selfish and self-centered. There's no. Compassion for somebody else. I don't even know what feelings are of of sadness and any kind of feelings. I ate all that away, you know. But what I wanted my the director of the nursing school to know was that this is the reason I was quitting because somebody died and I can't deal with that. Well, you know, God bless that guy and his death and his family. But that was not why I was quitting. I was quitting because I couldn't get up every morning and go on the floor. All I wanted to do was eat. I didn't want to participate in my life, you know. I, I was done living life because I was all in the food. I was all in food. And, um, you know, at this time, uh, I, I, again, I quit nursing school. I started working for my dad, which, in my opinion, was a wonderful thing. I got to see him every day, worked for a furniture corporation, and I just settled. You know, I made enough money so that I could drink and eat whenever I wanted to, and, and that's all I worried about, you know, Um I can remember at this time, my sister, she was very depressive, you know, she, she's one of those, she was one of those people that she didn't do the booze or the food or anything like that. So her experience of her life, I guess, just took her to depression. And so she was seeing a social worker at the time, and I was depressed at this time too. And, um, and actually what had happened, this was a little later, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm a fallen down drunk and a, a a binger and a starver, and that's my pretty much my life, you know. And so I get into these places, these crying jags, and you know I have people in my life who always want to take care of me. And at this time, um, I don't know if most people know, but I, you know, I, I I dated guys in high school, I dated women, I, and and so this time I was in a relationship with a woman, and um, and she, again she wants to fix me, but she doesn't know how, and she listens to my sister tell talk about the social worker. So she's like why don't you go see this guy you know so I thought okay great plan why not let's try it so I go and I'm sitting in the waiting room and I'm reading this magazine I don't know what year this was maybe uh, let me back up just a little bit because prior to this my dad had died he was 54 years old and he had a heart attack and I thought I was going to die I just did you know there was my whole life whenever i needed anything he was there if i needed somebody to fix it i would call him if i missed work he was a, a big shot in the company i worked for so i would just call him he'd take care of it all that kind of stuff you know i if i was in a jam he'd get me out Um and so he, he died uh, and i was devastated i quit my job and um and i was in this deep depression and And I didn't want to live, I just really didn't want to live the way that I was living, so you know, I make this appointment at this for this with this social worker and in the waiting room, reading the magazine, and that's back when I first heard about proza uh a pill, and what I read, I don't even know if it said that, but this was my interpretation of what I read is that if you take this pill and you're depressed, it will help you, plus you'll lose weight. I thought, oh. There you have it. There's the solution. That's what I want. So um, I go into the office, and I take the magazine with me. And I tell this guy, I think this is what I need. You know, I think this is what I need. Uh, And I don't know what all I talked about in there, but when I left, what I got was I probably needed to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I had an appointment to see a counselor for food addiction in Pittsburgh in two weeks. How that happened? I don't rem- remember any of that conversation, but that was the instructions that I had. And the reason that I had two weeks before I got to see this woman about food addiction in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, is because she was in Tampa, Florida. Didn't tell me why. But so two weeks later, I go to Pittsburgh, and this woman, and I don't even remember her name. Isn't that crazy? Um But anyway, she had just left the treatment center in Tampa, Florida, for food addiction. And she, you know, gave me all this stuff. And at the time, let me just tell you, I didn't want to work anymore. I didn't want to participate in life. So when she said, you want to go to treatment, I said, I'm all in. (laughs) Plus, my insurance covered it. You know, it was one of those things, yep, let's go. Let me just, and let me go to Florida. I had only been to Florida once, and that was when I graduated from high school, and that was where it was at. There was the sun, you know, all, all, um, all year long, you know, you could be outside and all this good stuff. So I was ready to go. So, so two weeks later, I'm in Tampa, Florida in a treatment center, you know. And, uh, and what I know is when I entered that treatment center, I think I weighed like, I don't know, 124 pounds, something like that. And what they had was uh, a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and they wanted to talk about my alcoholism, too. I didn't want to talk about any any of that. I wanted to keep my booze, but I wanted you to take care of my food, please. You know, I wanted to be like a normal person. I wanted to eat like a normal person. You know, and so what happened at the treatment center is, you know, we had all these groups, you got the big book, and, uh, you know, we had abstinent food, they made our, well, we had like, it was like a cafeteria style, but everything was abstinent, we weighed and measured our food, and we ate four times a day, I thought, this was wonderful, this was wonderful, I had never eaten that many times a day, because I didn't know how to eat, you know, I had allergic reactions to foods that I put in my body. There were certain foods I put in, and who knew when I was going to quit eating, them, probably when they were gone, you know. So, um, so I, you know, I never participated in any of the groups. You know, I could fly under the radar. I was out, always outside, laying in the sun, or shooting some basketball, or finding something to do outside, you know. And they never missed me, except for one time, this one girl, she wanted to skip one of the... the um, Groups and come and lay out with me. Well, they missed her. <laughs> so I got busted. But, you know, I never really got any, got this stuff. I just didn't. What are they talking about? You know, I have an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind. Made no sense. Sounded like an excuse to me, really, you know, because of my own mind, you know, I know, you know, all this stuff that I think I know, which screws me every time. You know, so I didn't get any of it. But what I got was when I left that place, I weighed 119 pounds. So I lost like five pounds eating four, four times a day. I thought, this is the ticket. This is the ticket, this food plan, you know? And so and I had this food plan, but I still had this same mind of mine, you know, this same mind that I know better, you know?
4: So I thought, hey, let's diet the food plan.
2: Sounds like a good idea to me, you know, because all I know is how to diet And and how to binge, you know, so I thought, well, let's diet this food plan. And that was the first time I got to a place of, I couldn't even think. I was like 90 some pounds, Um, not even knowing that it had anything to do with my starving my brain, you know, and then um, this was back in 1987. That was the first time that I went, ever heard of OverEaters Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I stayed sober at that time for a period of time so you know and i moved to florida because this is where it was at here's where the solution was here in florida and that was back in uh, 1988 and um you know so like i said i I was no longer drinking so i wasn't putting the booze in my body and i was dieting this food plan i was a mess let me just tell you culture shock shock nonetheless i'm from a small country town in pennsylvania coal mining town and i moved to orlando florida i was crazy i didn't know what to do my my boss at the time from pennsylvania had laid me off so that i could collect unemployment god's grace but i came down here and i just i was afraid of everything when i didn't have my functioning tools which were food and booze i couldn't function i didn't know how to live i didn't have the roadmap, you know and uh one of the things that i I, um started to do you know they told me to go to these meetings and you know and let me just tell you in Orlando Florida there are AA meetings every day probably 15 at least a day there are OA meetings every day quite a few you know and I'd go once a month maybe you know and still not not understand but not sticking around long enough to maybe try and understand because I know you know I know um, you know, one of the things that it talks about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. You know, it's just not enough. You know, it's just not enough. And uh, it says, it says in the, on page, tw- uh, our Roman numeral number 20. 9, it says, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, which I was, who had so many problems, he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol or food, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. You know, and those are the 12 steps. And not, not like I hadn't heard that probably quite a few times in these meetings I went to. I just didn't get it. I thought, how does these 12 steps up on this wall change my life? Now, let me tell you, in these rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous, there were people in there saying that they were happy, joyous, and free. And of course, I thought they're blowing smoke. They have to be blowing smoke. You know, who cannot drink for 30 years? You know, people in there talking about, I haven't had a drink in 30 years. You know, are all the slogans the same person will drink again, the same person will eat again. I'm like, what the hell, excuse my French, what does that even mean? You know, and, and again, God forbid I should ask somebody. You know, what does that mean? Uh, so I just leave thinking, oh, they just really don't know what they're talking about. They really just don't know what they're talking about. Um, so, um, yeah, again, you know, I I never really went to a place of being really overweight. You know, I tended more to dieting the food plan. When I went off the food plan and just started to eat regular food again, I started to feed my brain and some of my mental faculties came back. And this was like back in the, back in like 1990, something like that. And then I drank again. And then I got sober again in 1993. And that's when I got sober from alcohol. And, um, and I remember coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and people in. And this time, you know, I knew what I had done before didn't work, so I was doing something different. And uh, you know, so I got had to sponsor an egg, worked the steps and had a spiritual awakening. has it had to do with alcohol. I never wanted to drink again. You know, I knew that I was a, had an allergic reaction to booze. Once I put booze in my body, I could not stop, so I didn't drink. And I knew that the only solution was the Twelve Steps to not drink again, because I had tried all the other. they didn't work and the people that were there when I first came in were still there when I came in the last time and again they were happy joyous and free and they were stopping this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and they were going to these big book studies and they were doing all this stuff and I thought "Ah, I'll just and you know I I have nothing else to do let me just go on you know and uh and that was that was a wonderful time in my life okay that was 1993 and then I wanted to die again, you know, I uh, started doing this diet stuff again, started losing weight, couldn't think, you know, and so the food was always there. And, it, yeah, you know, because uh, bottom line is food was my core addiction. I could just tell you my opinion. <laughs> I don't know why I think that booze is more glamorous, because it's not because I was falling down, blackout drunk. But I always thought oh, booze, it's better to be an alcoholic than it is to be a compulsive overeater. Oh, my God, the stigma. You know, well, I'm seven years sober, dying in Alcoholics Anonymous and 91 pounds and can't think, you know, luckily, you know, again, if God, and I heard this at a retreat, if God brings it to you, he sees you through it. If it brings you to it, he sees you through it. And and I truly believe that. You know, I had people in my life at that time. You know, I had a network of people in Alcoholics Anonymous who loved me and I loved them. I'd gone to meetings every day. I'd hung out with these people. We had done dances. We had done all this stuff without a drink. You know, these people were happy, joyous, and free and working the 12 steps. They had a transformation through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and a spiritual awakening a psychic change. <laughs> and they were loving life. And I wanted to die seven years sober. You know, I wanted to die seven years sober. And, um, you know, it talks on page eight of the big book. It says, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair. I found in the bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Food was my master. You know, I was sober at that time, but I still wanted to die. Every night when I go to bed, I think, dear God, please just stop me and you wake up tomorrow morning, you know. Look at all these people in my life, happy, joyous, and free. And I want to die. Well, you know, a lot of people in my home group thought that I had cancer. People thought I had AIDS. Everybody wanted to help me, but they didn't know what to do. And then slowly but surely, they would talk about my food. You know, and, um, and I had an opportunity to go to another treatment center in Tampa, Florida. I was already in Orlando. And this was like a uh, this was like a group home type thing where they had meetings and it was for food addiction They had a house for women with eating disorders and a house for alcoholics. And, you know, and the only reason I went because I couldn't think of anything better to do at this time. I couldn't think, you know, people who know me today, I couldn't put a sentence together. You know, we'd be in a room talking and people would be talking and they'd be talking about me like I wasn't even there because I couldn't talk. By the time I would think of a sentence, they'd be on something 20 minutes later. And that's what starving myself did for me. But that's exactly what needed to happen for me. Because let me just tell you, I prided myself on my intellect. You know, so I was beaten into a state of reasonableness. I just did what they told me to do because I didn't know what else to do. So I went to this treatment center. And I... Follow the food plan. And I had to make my own food here. You know, we had to go shopping. We had to live like we were living life, which was a wonderful thing for experience for me because I never really went shopping. I didn't cook nothing, you know. And I had to do this stuff. I had, And I ate four meals a day. And I was mad because by this time I had to eat a lot of food. I had to gain about 35 pounds. And I was pissed off, you know. But again, I couldn't think of anything better. So I just did what they told me to do. And I think that was a God in my life. You know, and, uh, you know, I always talk about, you know, I'm, I, I have some OCD and I think it just worked for me at the time. You know, <laughs> I'm a lot better today, but at the time, you know, I, I didn't just, I didn't get out of bed. I got on my, I slid out of bed on my knees every day. And it was just, and I don't know if I ever said anything, but that was just a habit that I did, you know, and and one of the things that it talks about, and I think it's in, oh, there is a solution. Probably. But, um, you know, because on the second, the first step, I am totally powerless over food by this time. And my life is totally unmanageable by me. Bottom line, have no doubts. Okay. And then it says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I was like, ah, come on. You know, I was raised Catholic. I believe in God. You know, I may have believed that there was a God, but I certainly didn't believe that God was working in my life, you know, because I'm a drunk, I'm gay, you know, I can't live. uh, God doesn't like those types of people, you know. And so when I first came in the rooms and I saw the steps on the wall, I'm already at three because, look, you know, I know I'm powerless, whatever that means. You know, I believe in God. Okay, so let's go on. Well, that was my mistake for sure. Kept me sick very long, you know. It says, the great fact is just this, and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by ourselves. You know, and I started to read some stuff out of this book, and I thought, ah, you know, and again, not by any virtue, because I've I've exhausted everything else. You know, I've tried everything. So, um, you know, I thought, okay. You know, it also tells me God either is or isn't. What's your choice? You know, I had a choice. For a long time, I picked that he wasn't. I wasn't getting anywhere with that one. Let's try the other one. You know, I, I used to hear stuff like this. If you want something different, you got to do something different. Doesn't matter what you want to do, matters what you do. You know, and all you need is a little bit of willingness. If you don't have it, pray for it. Act as if. Believe that I believe. All this stuff. I'm thinking, man, these people are nuts. They're telling me all this stuff. Bottom line is, I listen to those people today. I even say that stuff today, <laughs> you know. And then it says, it said, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help.
5: I'd already blotted it
2: out. You know, I was on the other end. It's time just to accept it, you know. And they told me I could start right where I was. I didn't have to be anyplace else. I could start right there. Even with that doubt. You know, I could just be willing to believe that there was something bigger than me out there. And I could just by looking outside. You know, the trees, the birds, the sky, the sun in Florida, you know. So that started a little bit of change in my thinking. You know, because I have the allergy of the body. You know, by this time, I'm not putting those alcoholic foods in my body, so I'm not craving more. I'm still not so happy about having to eat all this food, but I'm kind of like, you know, I get to eat food today and not have to worry about what I look like. That's a novel idea, because I was all, you know, vanity here for sure, always worried about what I look like, you know, and... um. So you know, I started to follow the food plan. I started to work the steps with a sponsor, with in whom the problem had been solved. And I was so lucky. My first sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous was also twenty years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, don't, I think ten years abstinent in, in Overeaters Anonymous, and had worked out of the Big Book of Alcoholics. Man. You know, no, God was working in my life always. You know, and I want what she had. You know, I wanted to be okay in my own skin and to be able to participate in my life. You know, and, you know, and maybe I could be happy, joyous, and free. You know, on page 131 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, we are sure God wants you to be happy, joyous, and free. It says, we are sure. You know, some of that stuff sticks in my mind today. You know, because I want that. I want to be happy, joyous, and free. But again, you know, it also tells me that there's work to be done. You know, if I want the result in 12, you know, I gotta do one through 12. You know, I wanted to skip certain steps, you know. I don't really want to take an inventory. I don't really want to make amends to anybody. You know, cause you know, what? No, nothing's wrong here. There ain't no character defects, you know. And so once, you know, I came to believe and could move on, you know, a sponsor told me that, you know, we made a decision, you know, in the third step, made a decision to turn our will and our lives. And and I thought, wow, that's just so overwhelming. Will and life, oh my God, that's so big. My sponsor said, how about thoughts and actions? Can you do that? Can you turn your thoughts and your actions over to a power greater than yourself? I thought That's doable. That's doable. And then she told me to write my own conception. She told me to write what I wanted God to be and to do for me. Not what I wanted him to be and do for you, but what I wanted him to be and do for me. You know, and over over the years, that has changed, you know, because at that time, my God was too small. I needed to get a bigger one, you know, and I'm so grateful that it still changes today. When I need a bigger God, that definition, that description has to change, you know, and uh, on page 60 of the big book, it talks about you know, our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic and our personal adventures before and after made clear three pertinent ideas. And this is when it tells me that we to be to be convinced that we were at step free, that we're alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. I'm alcoholic food addicted and can't ma- manage my own lives. Be that probably no human power could have relieved my alcoholism, food addiction. For sure. I, I tried to get everybody to do it, nobody could. And see that God could and would if you were sought. You know, God could not would if you were sought. He said it doesn't say God couldn't what if he's found. It says sought. You know, and then it says being convinced of these three. I'm now at step three, so I can get I can move on. I don't have to stay here. You know, a lot of people said you do a step a year, you do this. and it says in the big book, somebody's here, it says, you know, at once, next, all that kind of stuff, which means we're not waiting around. We're moving on, you know, to the four steps. We're gonna take an inventory. Uh, you know, there are things that block me from the sunlight of the spirit. And if they continue to block me, there's no hope for my spiritual awakening. You know, and again, I got drunk many times right in the fourth step. And I got back into the food right in the fourth step. So this time I thought, let's do something different. All them people keep telling me, if you want something different, do something different. You know, so I did it, you know, and I followed the outline in the big book. You know, I had resentments, I had the calms, I had the fears, and I had the sex back. And I wrote all that stuff down and I didn't like what I saw at all, you know, didn't like any of that kind of stuff and was afraid that, you know, maybe people are going to judge about, judge me about all that stuff, you know, and again, but I just continued to do the work. I kept asking God for help on every sheet I would write. I forget what I, I write this little sentence like, God, please help me. Help me to write what I need to write. Help me to see what I need to see. And, uh, and I'd write, you know. And then, you know, before I did the fifth step, my sponsor told me that, you know, all that stuff you got down on paper, that can be you and your life again. But it doesn't have to be. You don't have to be that same person. You know, because that same person will eat again. But if you're somebody different, if you have a psychic change, a spiritual awakening, you won't have to rely on food or booze. And so, you know, I, and I always say this also about the fifth step. The only reason I did that is because it talks about it in the big book. The best reason we do this step is because if we skip it, we may not overcome drinking. I'd already been there. I'd already skipped it many times, and I did not overcome drinking or eating. You know, so this time that's the only reason I did it. You know, and uh, no holds barred. You know, I was just like, whatever. You know, I sat down, and I, and it was a relief to finally tell somebody all this stuff about me. You know, and again, just like in the rooms of. of OA and AA, you know, people were shaking her head, and she was shaking her head like, yeah, I did that. She was relating, you know. what I am not unique by any means. You know, people have done what I did, or people are going to do what I've done. You know, people have done worse things, and people have done not so much worse. But, you know, I had to get going here, you know. And then, you know, on page 75, she, she read the promises. You know, I could look the world in the eye, the fifth step promises, you know. To be a perfect peace and ease, oh, my God. You know, all that kind of stuff you know and so um you know she gave me the instructions on page bottom page 75 you know go home t- put the take the book down off the shelf you know she said if it's not if it's on the floor put it up on the shelf and take it down you know you know so I do that's that simple I, I almost said stupid <laughs> simple stupid stuff which I thought it was you know and, and it said sit for an hour and I thought oh my god you know, who's going to say you can't sit for an hour, you know, but, you know, I, I did the best that I could the first time. Let me just tell you my experience after the fact. Many I've done many more. I've taken that opportunity and I've sat for an hour and what a miraculous experience. And um, so, you know, I did the fifth step by the time I was done that night. I was already on seven because she told me to go home and read six and seven and then to call her and we were going to make a list. You know, so by now I'm on step eight. And I thought, oh, my God, this is cool you know, and I and I was excited now, I'm excited to be somebody different now, you know, and so I, I made a list of all the persons I had harmed, she said I had most of them on my four-step, you know, there may have been some that I caused harm to that weren't connected to resentments or anything like that, might want to go back through my life starting now and go backwards, you know, and I, one of the things I wanted to talk about in the four-step was, it says we put Out of our minds the wrongs others have done entirely you know we don't look at them at all i look at my stuff here because you know i'm the one who wants to live today i'm so powerless over what you do but i want to live today so i look at my own mistakes and uh you know so i made this list we got together and we made some outline of what kind of amends i was going to make and and then i started making amends once i made my first amend we started doing 10. you know it's because it's it's about the process you know, and I, and I continue to take a personal inventory when I'm wrong, you know, and I, and I say this a lot. I don't know that I promptly admitted, but I cannot stay in that place for very long anymore. So pretty much more promptly than, not, than waiting later. You know, I can't be miserable for very long. So I got to take care of my stuff. It tells me in, in the alcohol in AA, um, um, 12, AA, 12 Step book, yeah, that um, it's a spiritual axiom that when I'm disturbed, there's something wrong right here. It's a spiritual truth when i'm disturbed there's something wrong with me you know selfish dishonest self-seeking and frightened where am i that stuff you know and then there are five. for me there are five steps to the ten steps you know we, we look for where we are selfish dishonest self-seeking and frightened we ask god to remove them at once you know and then we talk to somebody about it we discuss it then we make amends if we need and then the solution The primary purpose of the inventory is we turn our thoughts to helping others because if i'm thinking about helping you i'm not thinking about me you know and i you know i'm not all good about all that you know i'm good about talking it you know and i'm better at doing it you know and uh you know and one of the things that i love one of the steps that i passionately love today is the 11th step you know and it starts at night you know when we retire at night who knew yeah, you know, for a long time, I didn't know. <laughs> Who knew? You know, I wanted to start in the morning. Once you know, upon awakening, that's where I want to start. But I think it's on page, what, 85, 86 mean, me, no care. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't
6: know
2: one of these. You know, it says, ah, uh, it's on page 86. When we retire at night, we constructively re- review our day. I do that stuff today. You know, I'm not perfect. I don't always do it. But I have a sponsor that, are, you know, I write that stuff down. You know, I constructively review my day. You know, and, and um, you know, I, I'm seeking to improve my conscious contact with a power greater than myself daily, you know, and I do that on awakening, you know, and I try to follow the directions. There are instructions in this big book that I am so grateful for, because if I ad lib, look out, I'm screwed, you know, but I try to follow the, the instructions in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, you know, if I want that result, i got to do that deal, and I do. You know, and I and I get a better result when I do, when I follow specifically, you know, uh, and uh, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, that's why we're here, that's why I'm here, yeah. You know, try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs, you know, my romances, my finances, all that stuff, my work life, those are my affairs. You know, I need to practice these principles, and it's practice, practice, practice daily. You know, and I have that opportunity today because let me tell you, by this time, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. I am happy, joyous, and free today
4: because I do that deal.
2: The days that I don't, not so happy, you know, not so joyous, and not so free, but the days that I do, I am. You know, uh, my absence date is uh, July the 5th, 1999, And I just celebrated 20 years in July. And I am so grateful today that I don't wake up thinking about if I'm going to eat, when I'm going to eat, how I'm going to eat, or if I'm not going to eat today because I ate too much yesterday. I don't think about any of that stuff today. I think about how am I going to help somebody. Part of my morning prayers, I ask God, you know, show me who I can be of service today. You know, help me to help the man who is still sick. What can I do? i don't always want to do, let me just tell you, I don't always want to do that stuff. But, you know, I pray for it. And if I'm praying for it, I get the opportunity. You know, and I go to meetings, I listen to meetings. I, I'm a sponsor, I have a sponsor, I sponsor people who sponsor people, you know, and I do this deal the best that I can one day at a time. Because if God brings me to it, He'll bring me through it. And that has been my my experience today. So that, you know, people I was so freely given this thing. All I had to do was suit up and show up and people were there willing to help me you know i hope that i can do that today you know the best thing that i can do the best way i feel is after i've had a conversation with somebody who finally the light goes on in their eye like maybe they can have some hope that this thing will work for them too you know and i am so grateful so grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this and with that i pass
1: thanks so much tina you know, I, I, I hold you personally responsible, Tina. My phone is blowing up. If I get one more, this girl's on fire, amazing, can't wait to meet her, love this woman. I think I'm going to throw my phone down, Tina. We so appreciate your extraordinary journey and, um, uh, and just raw, inspiring, miraculous journey. Um, so we're going to now transition to uh, to open it up to a Q&A session here. So. What we'll do is we'll take some names and um if you have a specific question for Tina at this point, why don't you give me your first name and initial and we'll try to get them down.
5: Loretta H.
1: Loretta. Mo H. Mo?
5: Jodie
3: E. Jodi. Maura Z. And
1: Judith R. Judith. Okay, there's a good lineup to get us started here. So I got Loretta, Mo, Jodie, Mora, and Judith. And then if everyone, if you're not Loretta or Tina. If you would be kind enough to mute your phone so we can all hear, that would be great. Just press star 1 to mute your phone. And let's start off with Loretta has a question for Tina. Loretta?
5: Can you hear me, Larry?
1: I can, absolutely.
5: Oh, wonderful. Thank you for your service, and thank you, Tina, for your amazing um, gratitude and your amazing story, and I identify in so much. My question for you is... I am in the process right now of doing another step four. And I've done several of them. You said you have two. When you approach that, do you start in the big book at page one? Or do you – I have also been using the Lori C. workbook, and I start at the beginning of that. But what's your process – for doing another four-step, if that makes any sense.
2: Absolutely, positively. You know, uh, what I know for t- for me and what works for me is, you know, I don't, when I'm doing the four-step, I'm doing it as it's laid out in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I do those columns, I do what it says, I read those pages. But again, I can't be at four if I haven't done one, two, and three. And I And I basically do that daily, you know. I'm powerless. My life's unmanageable. I'm believing in power than myself, but there's no formal, I guess there's, unless I'm a lot of times I'm I'm in a book study, which we formally write this stuff. But if I feel like I need to do an inventory and the 10 steps not taking care of it, you know, I will talk to my sponsor and, and we'll talk about this. We'll talk about the first three steps before I start writing the fourth. So, you know, again, for me, I can't do four if I haven't already done one, two, or three. If, I, if I'm not convinced of A, B, and C, <laughs> then, I, you know, I can't do four. But I, there are all kinds of formats out there for all this stuff. And um, we are so blessed to have all of that. And I've done many of them. I've done the OA 12 and 12, the workbook, Lori C. I've done a lot of them in many different ways and great experiences. But for me, I prefer the outline laid out in the Big Book
5: of Alcoholics One myself. So. I hope that answers your question.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Loretta and Tina, for answering that. Okay, we have uh, up next Mo H., and followed by Jody. Good morning, Mo.
4: Hey, good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service, Larry, and all those who give service on this line. And Tina S., thank you so, so much. I hear you on the recorded version, because I'm usually never up this early, but God woke me up, and so now I'm up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If God brings me to it, he will bring me through it. I love that. My question for you, when you are sponsoring and a sponsee has gotten themselves with you and with the help of the big book all the way through steps up to 10 and 11 and just about to start step 12 and they eat, what is your suggestion?
2: Wow. I don't know that I had that specific experience, um, but again, if I'm in the food, how am I going to help anybody else? You know. Um,
1: hey Tina, and, I'm sorry to interrupt to... you. Sorry to interrupt you, Tina. Can um, can everyone mute their phone? It's a little hard to hear, in, like some steps and so forth. So if you can mute your phone so that um, you can hear Tina's response, that would be terrific. Unless that's you, Tina. I don't think so. No. Not me. Okay. Sounds like somebody's walking or something. Yeah. I am
4: i I'm the, I'm, I'm out walking. Is that what you're hearing me?
1: Yeah, I think so, Mo. If you could mute it while you're yeah, while you're walking. Oh there we go. Thanks, Mo.
4: Oh I'll, I'll just stop walking. Um so see <laughs> it isn't I that takes the bite, it's the sponsee.
2: Right, right, right. So that's okay. what I'm saying. You know, how can I do trip, step twelve if I'm packing yeah. the food, you know.
1: Right. I Right. You know,
2: I have not had that experience myself, but if I did, that's what I would say. Now, you know, again, you know, there are so many different ways that people sponsor people, and I don't know that I would necessarily go you know, start going back to the beginning of the Big Book and coming back through. I don't know that I would do that. You know, we would go through the steps again for sure. You know, because I want to see somewhere you really believe you're powerless. Obviously, you don't. You know, if if that's going to be a, a possible option for you or if it was you know maybe we need to revisit some of this stuff but I don't think I would uh that we would read back to the big book we would probably go through each step okay but write something on each step
4: great all right that's a guide thank you very much you're
1: welcome you're welcome thanks Mo okay next up uh, we have a question from Jody E and followed by Maura hey Jody good morning
7: Good morning, thank you, Larry, for your service. This is Jodi E. in California. And thank you, Tina. It's great to hear your story. I'm intrigued by all your experience in uh, eating disorder treatment programs. And my question is, do you think they were really helpful? Or do you think that they would have been unnecessary if you had, say, for example, found the sponsor that you ultimately found who took you through the big book. Thank you.
2: Wow, what a great question, Jody. Uh, yeah, um, that is a great question, and I, you know, and I think about that a lot because I, you know, personally, I don't, al- I don't always recommend treatment centers. You know, that was my path. That was what was put in front of me. Um, you know, because obviously. I couldn't do it any other way. So that's where I was taken. But if I had a sponsor who took me through the big book, which is where the solution is, and I was able to put down the food, sure, why would I need to go to treatment? You know, there's a lot of controversy about treatment centers. Let me just tell you, the first one didn't work for me. It was a resort place for me. I thought this was great. But the second one kind of taught me how to live. You know, so I am so grateful for them people. You know, because once I got the food out of my body, the, you know, the alcoholic foods, I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to prepare food. So this was kind of like a, a journey through preparing your food, grocery shopping, living life, and you know, getting out there. You know, so the second place was, you know, for me, I really needed that. Uh, again, you know, I think we're all individuals, and I sponsor quite a few people who don't go to treatment, and they've had, you know, a spiritual awakening, a transformation. So you know, I guess it's you know, you know, God is ultimately the source for that. But you know, I don't use again. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because even though I went to treatment, I don't usually recommend it. I have, but I don't always. So
0: hope that helps. Thank you, Tina. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, th- thanks for the question, Jody. And next up, we have Mora, 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 and followed by Judith. Hey, Mora.
3: Larry, thank <laughs> you, sir, for your service. Tina. Oh, my gosh, girlfriend. Thank you so very much for sharing your vulnerability. Um, Okay, here's my question. First, another comment. Thank you, thank you, thank you for pointing out that there are indeed five steps to doing a tenth step, that we have to keep continually being on the watch. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. When do you in your sponsoring teach the 10th step? If you have someone who is coming up with resentment after resentment after resentment and you haven't even gotten to the fourth step yet, do you share about doing the 10th step turnaround or doing the 10th step in some way, shape, or form? That's my question, and thank you so very much.
2: Actually, no. I uh, take the steps in order, you know, bottom line for my, my opinion about all this stuff being resentful and all this, and if you haven't gotten to the fourth step, it's a powerless, unmanageable problem, uh, a power greater than ourself problem. It's a one, two, three problem. That's my experience because, you know, I always wanted to do one and then 12, <laughs> it do not work, you know, so... I, you know all I can do is share my experience strength and hope, and I wasn't taken through the the big book that way I wasn't taken through the steps that way, so that's that's not where I even go. You know my mind doesn't even go to ten i mean it does all my own stuff, but it doesn't when you know or even if it would i don't I wouldn't you know I don't think somebody can get to ten
1: if they're only at three so,
2: sorry, hope that helps.
1: Thanks for the question, Maura. Okay, next up we have Judith, and then we'll uh, take some more names if you have a question for Tina. Judith, good morning.
4: Hey, good morning, Larry. Thank you so much. And, Tina, thank you, as always. Um, Judith R. in Vermont. I'm also wondering about Step 10. I just wondered if Step 10 was a slow learning process for you. For me, I keep. I just don't recognize
2: when I'm annoyed or irritated. and. I'm I'm coming up with all kinds of ways to do it, but I would just love to hear your experience, strength, and hope on how you got, how you figure out that you need a step ten, and how often you do them. Thank you. Wow, great question, you know, because, I, you know, I'm I'm one that, you know, sometimes I want to compare myself, you know, it was a slow process for me, let me just tell you, I did not have the experience of uh, a 10 step train, a lot of stuff that is out there that is great opportunity stuff. I don't do 15 10 steps a day. I don't need to today. In my, you know, I I hope I don't need to do 15 10 steps in a day because by this time I and this is for me I believe that I shouldn't be you know feeling that way 15 times in a day. Now that's you know again. You know, and doesn't say I don't do it because I can be disturbed for sure. You know, but uh You know, maybe it's because I work from home, so I'm not in contact with a lot of people. I don't know. But, you know, again, I can be disturbed about certain things in my life. But I can't stay disturbed for very long, so that's what prompts me. You know, I don't like this feeling. I don't like feeling agitated. You know, I don't like feeling irritable. You know, I don't like that kind of stuff. It doesn't feel good in my gut. You know, they always say the longest distance is from the head to the heart. My gut doesn't, my heart doesn't feel good. So I got to take care of that. And that's, you know... And the process was, you know, somebody pointed out to me, hey, you think you might want to do a 10-step? <laughs> oh, you know, and so over again, practice, practice, practice. The more I talk about this stuff, the more I do this stuff, the more I'm prompted to do a 10-step. You know, we hear about it all, all the time on Vision. We hear about it, I hear about it with people I, I speak with. And so I'm prompted to do it. Hope that helps.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the question, Judith. Okay, it's your opportunity to ask a question of Tina. So who else has a question for her?
3: Sarah S.
1: Melissa. I heard Tara, I believe. Melissa, I heard you. I might have got Tara wrong.
0: Sarah S.
1: Oh, Sarah, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Who else? Marla. Marla. Anybody else in this round? Tina's going to be here for the next 12 hours, so just you know we can face ourselves. <laughs> hey, let's start off. Let's start off with Sarah, and then we'll we'll move over to Melissa. Sarah, good morning. What question do you have for Tina?
0: Oh, oh, hi. I'm Sarah S. A compulsive overeater. I'm not recovered. I'm back in the food. And hi, Tina. I loved your whole story. And uh, on step four. I know I've left three things out, and I'm afraid to reveal them. They have to do with uh, sexual things. I'm so afraid. Can you please tell me how you, when you revealed your stuff, how that made you feel to expose yourself? Thank you.
6: You're
2: welcome. Thanks for the question. You know, And I don't have that experience, uh, so I don't know what it's I'm like. I'm
1: certain. Tina, I'm sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. again. Okay. I just, if, if everyone, <laughs> I just, I, I still want to hear your answer to that, to her question. If everyone can just make sure to mute their phones so we could all hear. Okay, Tina, thanks again. Sorry for the inter- interruption.
2: Uh, no problem, Ryan. No problem. Yes, thanks, uh, Sarah. Um, Again, I, I don't have that experience in, in my past, but there was something that I, I was really afraid to share. And and you prompted me to, when I, when I hear a fifth step, that's one of the first things I ask, is there something that you have planning not to tell me today? You know, and they can or can, don't have to tell me, but at least they have to think about that twice. You know, but my experience was I was so loved and accepted for what I shared again. You know, I am not unique, and I know from knowing people in, in the rooms that you are not either as far as that experience, and, uh, and I'm sure you can find somebody that hopefully makes you feel safe enough to share that with, um, because our secrets keep us sick. That's what I was always told, and that's been my experience. If I'm not talking about it,
3: I'm going to eat about it. So I hope it helps, and God bless.
1: Thanks for the question, Sarah. Thank you, Tina. Okay, Melissa. Good morning. Hi. Good morning.
8: Thank you so much, Larry, for your service this morning. Um, and Tina, thank you. That was a really beautiful share, and I um, just got a lot out of it. Um, you know, my question is, you know, when I hear like um, when you identify yourself, um, you say, you know, you're a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic, and and I hear others do that as well. And, um, you know, um, I'm just wondering, do you find that someone who has the experience of anorexia and bulimia is more able to help um, someone than than one that doesn't? Because I've sort of found for myself, um, I know we identify ourselves. We're all, we all have compulsive eating issues. Um, but I've always found, you know, there's something different how the way the disease manifests itself um, in the different varieties. And I'm just curious about your opinion about that. Do you find you're best able to help that type of compulsive eater as to, you know, maybe the different type? <laughs> I hope that, I hope that's a good clear question. Thanks. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah. Great question. And what
2: I can tell you is none of my sponsors have been anorexic. We've all been just compulsive eaters, so um, that's I didn't have a sponsor. But what I also can tell you is, um, some people think that people that are anorexic can relate better, you know. and, And the only reason I say that, you know, I was asked in a face-to-face meeting to share that I was also anorexic because I never used to identify myself like that. I would just say that I was a compulsive eater. And somebody asked if I could please do that so that somebody else may hear that. And that's why I identify today like that. And, and it does, and I get more people that have that same experience come to me and ask questions. But again, you know, I, that was my experience but I didn't have a sponsor who had that experience. And so, you know, I, when you asked it, I thought, Oh, that's interesting. Cause I, you know, I, I am able to help people that are anorexic, but my, none of my sponsors were, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I was helped obviously. So, um, you know, because bottom line, the food is, you know, after we get to how far in the big book, oh, I forgot to talk about my favorite page on page 45, which lack of power is my dilemma. But, you know, food is not my dilemma. Not eating is not my dilemma. Lack of power is that, and the solution comes from that. So it's not about the food. It just isn't or eating it or not eating it. And initially the attraction or maybe the, the uh, common bond or the relating may be, but again, it's more about lack of power.
4: Um, so anyway, hope that helps.
1: Thanks for the question, Melissa. Okay, we're going to uh, take a question from Marla now, and then we'll we'll have our last mm-hmm. round there for, um, for questions. Marla, good morning. Good morning,
7: Larry. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can. Thanks so much.
7: All right. Thank you. Hi, Tina. Thank you very much for your share. Very, very deep and helpful for me. Um, hey, I'm recovered, and I'm... Gradually learning more and more the value of my 10 steps. Um, It's taken me quite a while to actually believe that they work. And every time I do one, I don't have faith that it's going to help me until I actually do it. And then I go, wow, that actually helped me. Um, When you do your 10th, like when I get to recognizing that I'm disturbed, um, I'm just my question to you is do you, when it says we watch for these things and then I ask God to remove it immediately and then I talk to someone about it, um, question is, do you always follow that step as far as calling someone immediately? Because there are times for me, like if it's a fear or something, and I pray about it with God, just the prayer itself is enough to remove the fear for me. And I, I like to learn from people, are there ever times when you're doing the 10th step that you don't need to share it with another person? Or do you do that as a routine procedure and work it all the way through everything that the 10th step says? Thank you.
2: Thanks, Marla. Wonderful question. And the truth is no, I don't always do all five, you know, because I think at some point, what works you know till I get to a place of where it is relieved you know and and there are different situations if it's fear you know I may have not harmed anybody and you know do I need to talk to somebody about it or have we already talked dredged this up and done all this before you know I mean because it says when these crop up it doesn't say if so if I've done all this work before with it if I just need a reminder to ask God to remove it you know maybe that's all I need you know but I've had that experience but I you know I also don't want to because I can get in that place of, oh, all right, it's between me and God. Well, it's, all, it's between me and God and my head, me is my head. And look out, bad neighborhood for sure. So, you know, I, you know, I think there are some exceptions. You know, that's been my experience. So. And I just wanted to say thank you, Marla. My older sister's name was Marla, and, and um, she's been gone for quite a while. So when I heard your name, I got a little pitter-patter in my heart. So I hope that helped it and
7: did answered help. your thank question. You. Thank you very much.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Marla. Okay. So this is going to be the last opportunity to get in the queue, mind the gap. Yada, yada. Who else has a question for Tina?
4: Nadia B.
1: Nadia? Anybody else?
6: Jason C. Ah,
3: hey, Jason. Anne K
9: okay stock in
1: florida but was it zach stock stock I'm, I'm so not hearing that i i apologize did i get that right
9: stock? yeah thank you yes
1: oh stock. thanks stock i appreciate it okay and last call last call amy k amy k, k. Amy Hi. k. <laughs> okay and anyone else All right. So let's let's start with uh, Nadia, followed by Jason. Good morning, Nadia.
4: Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Tina, thank you so much for this beautiful presentation. Truly, truly appreciating your service. Um, My question is in regards to step nine. Um, could you share a little bit your amends process? What does what does it, um, or how do you guide Sponsee through an amends uh, process? What it, um, does it does um, it? Do you write a letter? Do you share it with anyone? I mean, just you know, maybe the steps. If you could share on that.
2: Thanks, Nadia. Good to hear you too. Um, Well, you know, bottom line, what you said, you know, the the process, I always always share with people because it was shared with me that I suit up and show up for the amen. God presents the opportunity. And through step eight is where we decide, you know, counsel with others for an, an A step of what the mend is going to be like. So, you know, for, it depends on what kind of amend you have to make. If, if, if it's for a deceased person, I've certainly had people that have written letters to their parents who have already died and have read them, you know. So I think it's individual, you know, it's for each individual amend that you need to make. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I can share about that is that, you know, the first time I did steps, I had, I was on a mission, had a plan, I was going to Pennsylvania and make all these men's. Well, I didn't have the opportunity to make not one, (laughs) you know, because then I was told that God presents the opportunity, I'm just willing to do it. You know, and I do the best that I can, and you know, and also with the ninth step it talks about after we make the yeah, amen because we you know we don't look at them at all, we ask if i if I've left anything out, you know is there anything doesn't mean that if they want me to do something that I have to do it but i but I need to ask you know, is there anything I can do to make this right
1: and so um, uh, hope that helps. thanks for the question, Nadia Hey, Jason, Good morning, good morning.
6: Hi. Uh, thank you for being on the line today.
1: I, uh, my, my
6: question really relates to my own, uh, my own experience. I have a, a pattern of relapse. I've been in OA about uh, seven years and the pattern seems to occur kind of leading step four and moving uh, and steps, steps four and five and moving to where I have to actually ask for these, um, uh, these sort of core beliefs to be removed. And it, it seems um i seem to have some kind of reaction to that process uh where i i balk uh and resist and i simply don't know how to break out of the pattern and i'm wondering if you could speak to that uh if you have sponsees that you've coached through that process um or just if you could speak to that in general and uh thank you
7: thanks
2: jason i i hope i heard the question right great question i think you're talking about 6 and 7 not quite sure but I think you were talking about the defects and them being review, uh, re, removed and how you were kind of balking through that. You know, and I, and I hear a lot and, I, and I'm sure, you know, some of these things really work for me and I didn't want to give them up. You know, and, it, and, and, and one of the things that I know is that, and this is just my experience, after I've done step five, I am entirely ready in that moment. Doesn't mean two days from now I'm going to be. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking the action and I'm entirely ready, and I'm asking God to remove these. You know, and their defects that stand in the way of my usefulness to others. You know, if I'm still being useful to somebody by, not to be, by being nosy or snitty, you know, if that's helping them do something, that's going to happen for a while, you know. But the bottom line is, you know, I can be defiant all I want. Where's it getting me? And, you know, and it says, you know, we humbly ask, you know, and then, you know, I act as if, You know, people told me that's a great tool acting as if, you know, we don't, you know, my opinion, I don't fake it till I make it, but I act as if, I act as if that he's going to remove these things, you know, and then I move on, you know, I can get stuck on how defiant I am or how undisciplined I am, but I want a better life. I want a different life, you know, so I can act as if, and if that's a stumbling block for me, you know, maybe that's something I need to spend some more time on. Uh, Hope it helps.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the question. Thanks for the question, Jason. Okay, we have Ann Kay followed by Stock. Hey Ann, good morning.
4: Uh
0: hi, uh Ann Kay. Um I was hoping you didn't uh, get my name. Um, but uh my question is, um this this I'm uh still in relapse. I thought I could come out of relapse, but I I returned. I'm finding myself both anorexic and the binge eater have you ever run across that and it's been advised to me to find an in-person nutritionist which I have never done uh, in uh, recently and that's a good idea I thought of just googling in my area and interviewing a few people to see if it would work but uh, have you ever come across binge eating combined with anorexia thank you
5: Thanks and uh,
2: yes, actually that's my experience. Um, yeah, um, I just thought it was you know it was the diet, but I, you know, it was just starving. You know my diet was I didn't eat after I binged, and you know I, I really wanted to talk to the nutritionist thing. You know that was a great opportunity bonus for me when I was in treatment the last time you know I was able to see a nutritionist there and I do recommend that for people I sponsor because I am not a professional I am not a nutritionist as some people are that's wonderful but I also recommend that if you're going to see a nutritionist that you explain to them you're paying for it you know it's money out of your pocket you explain to them what you can and cannot have because there's some people out there going and this is my opinion they're going to try and teach you how to intuitively eat if I could intuitively eat I wouldn't be here so I mean, and I'm not saying that doesn't work for some people, but you got to let them know what you need, you know. Because I have some people that go to nutritionists and they say, "This is what they tell me to eat." I said, "You need to speak up and tell them this is what you cannot have." So let's work with the stuff I can have. Hope that helped. Thanks.
1: Thanks for the question, Ann. Okay, I think yes, it's really thank time you. to. Oh, th- thanks, Ann. I think it's time to really take stock. Uh, so, Stock. Good morning. Your turn. Stock, uh, press star one, if
9: you would. Hi, this is Scott, S C O T Oh,
1: Scott. <laughs> Hi, Scott. I botched it.
9: The miracle of speaker phones. Hi, this is Scott. I'm in uh, Florida. And I had a question. Um, I'm a newcomer to OA. Um, I'm coming from a different uh, Food Addict 12-step program. And the sponsor relationship between sponsors and sponsees there's two thoughts that they have one is find a sponsor that has what you want um, and ask how it was achieved and the second one is um, we look to our sponsors recovery and we we do everything that we can in order to achieve that recovery And so that's some of the mantra that I've experienced in another program, and I wanted to get some opinion from Tina based on what she shared this morning, especially with all the questions related to sponsors and sponsees, if that is the same thought for Overeaters Anonymous or if there's a different approach. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Scott, for the question. Well, I can tell you my uh, experience about that um, and it was that I was told to look for somebody within whom the problem had been solved is it has what I want you know and and that's what I did and I did and also to do what they did to get what they got you know all that kind of little stuff that they say and and that is what I did you know because the sponsor that I initially had she she a- actually moved away about five years ago but you know she was a normal body weight she seemed to be happy joyous and free she was living life she had a job she had a partner you know she had all these things i wanted and so that's what attracted me to her and she had long term so um and i followed what she did hope it helps thanks
1: Thanks so much Scott. Okay, so we're gonna our final question is gonna come we save the best for last It's from Amy K. Amy. Good morning
4: good Amy, morning. press star one List. there you are I'm with you. I'm here. Thank you so much So I'm so grateful to be on this morning and um, my question I heard you say Tina that um, you you got clean in that in another program and then you realize that i think this is what i heard and you can correct me um but that you know but then you discover that food was really the issue that was your stumbling block and i'm very very clear that food is my stumbling block and my food is down and then i see oh i you know i have these issues and i'm told that they're best dealt with with this program and i'm just wondering how do you strike a balance? Um, You know, I know that the food is my core substance issue, if you will, but then all the other issues (laughs) are there. And I mean, it seems to me that if I'm working these steps, that all those other issues should be taken care of here. Um, I'm just curious to you know hear your response to that and or how you find the balance like who do you who do you call <laughs> you call your sponsor here there so that's my question
2: hmm. Great question, Amy. Really, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I always knew that food was an an issue for me, but I thought somehow, some way, someday that I could take care of that, that I did not need a 12-step program for that, and I didn't need God to handle that food. Thank you very much. And so that was the stumbling block for me. And I wasn't happy about coming to more than one program. Very resistant. You know, but today, you know, I, I just treat it as an opportunity to be of service and to get... So much from so many. And, um, you know, and and personally, it talks in the big book about that this will solve all my problems. God will solve all my problems, which is the truth. Now, there are many different ways to get to God, you know, and, um, and it also gives me information in the big book about outside help. Many people have had that. Personally, I've not had that experience, you know, so far, you know. The twelve steps, having had a spiritual awakening, is through all of these steps. We try to carry this message to other compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. You know, there are what thirty six principles. We've got the twelve steps, the twelve traditions, and twelve concepts that have principles behind them. You know, if I start to practice these principles in all my affairs, however I can do that, however I'm led to do that, let's say, is uh, the solution, and I can be led many different ways. So, hope that helped.
1: Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Amy, for the question. Okay, we're gonna Tina. You're just an extraordinary woman. Sorry, but period, <laughs> end of story. <laughs> how about no, how good, talk. <laughs> Um, If you let me give you the share ID for today, if you want to hear this, it's uh, thirteen thousand four hundred fifty-six. That's one three four five six. If you want to meet Tina in person, you you got to get to New Jersey. In uh, November 15th, 16th, and 17th, she doesn't sleep, so she's in the lobby. You know, two, three in the morning, you'll find her in the lobby. But anyway, get on the site and, and sign <laughs> up. It was really an extraordinary experience for me. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna close from page 164 of the big book. Uh, it's in a chapter entitled "A Vision for You." Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little.